No, you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go. But first, let's say... <laughs> She's scared to death. I want to say, um, you're welcome, listeners. We are not taking a week off because we care about those people who are self-quarantining and have nothing to do but listen to endless podcasts. So you're welcome. <laughs> this podcast is taking you to Hollywood, California. Hollywood. It is Aaron's pick, The Bad... And the beautiful, not to be confused with the, the bold, bold and, the beautiful. and the beautiful, which I think took their name from this. Well, we'll, we'll discuss it later. Okay. This is, a, I am, I am intro, introing. Um, this is a drama okay, about thank you. <laughs> the life of an ambitious Hollywood producer as seen through the eyes of a writer, a director, and an actress who had previous relationships with him this is the bad and the beautiful it's just it felt like i needed to say that you know yeah, it, was, that? it was much better there than where i put it well it just felt very oscar telecast and it then did, we run a it? montage yes yes so the bad and the beautiful it had its premiere in los angeles on december 25th 1952 and then i pretty sure it premiered in New York City and every place else on January 15th, 1953. Oh, okay. The director is one Vincente Minnelli. Minnelli. I always go, want to go Vincente Minnelli. Might be, though. Might be. I don't know. Also from Pinky, which we did not too long ago, Meet Me in St. Louis, An American in Paris, he also did GG and the bandwagon, to name a few. Yes. GG. <laughs> yeah. Also known as Gigi. Oh, it's Gigi? Gigi. I thought it was GG, because that's how it's spelled. Exactly. And many people pronounce it that way if you don't have a French flair, which I don't. Produced by John Houseman. Nerd alert, he was friends with Orson Welles and their federal theater project. He was also an actor in The Paper Chase. He was in Scrooged and Bright Lights, Big City. As a producer, he produced a little film you may have heard called Citizen Kane. Too Much Johnson. <laughs> Whoa, did we go there? Oh, my God. I wrote it down, but I guess I never read it. I was like, what's what's that movie about? Oh, we might have to pick that one. Jane Eyre, The Blue Delilah, They Live by Night, and Julius Caesar. The screenplay is by Charles Sheeney. He also wrote From This Day Forward, Cross My Heart, They Live by Night, Red River, and Butterfield 8, which that was one of our first films we did. I was going to say we have to do it. <laughs> Remember it was Liz Taylor? We got to yeah. get back to Liz Taylor. Yeah, uh, we pro- do. He, as a producer, he produced Jeopardy, Torch Song, and Somebody Up There Likes Me. It's based on a short story that I believe appeared in the Ladies Home Journal. Um, and then that short story... I have what that short story's name is written down elsewhere, but it was a longer version 
called Memorial to a Bad Man, or I've also seen it listed as Tribute to a Bad Man, and that's by George Bradshaw. He was a major in the United States Air Force. He wrote over 150 short stories. Um, He has a book called Practice to Deceive, and that was based on 13 short stories. And he also wrote five cookbooks. Wow. Uh, The music is by David Raskin. He was an arranger on Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. He also did Apache, the Over the Hill Gang Rides Again, The Day After, and the theme song for Laura, Nerd Alert. We're going to do Laura soon. The theme song for The Bad and the Beautiful became a hit after it came out and is considered a jazz standard now. And it was almost not in the film, and we'll get to that later. It is an instrumental. Yes, but this is this is the early 50s, so that's when right. those were Right, hits. but I have something to say. Uh-oh. Oh, did you hear that judgment in her voice? Like, what are you talking about? Well, here is what I'm talking about. I do. Nerd Alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has to drink on this one. Nerd Alert. He had written the, um, the song Laura, mm-hmm. and it had lyrics. And, and it was only known for the lyrics. And so with this one, he said, I'm not going to have any lyrics. I want my music to be her. Damn. What a You're flex. Welcome. You're welcome. The director of photography is Robert L. Surtees. He shot The Graduate, The Sting, 1976's A Star is Born, The Great Waldo Pepper, The Last Picture Show, King Solomon's Mind, Sweet Charity, and Rain Tree County, just to name a few. Yeah, I knew we'd heard that before. Mm-hmm. Edited by Conrad A. Nervig. He has 81 films to his credit. Among them, King Solomon's Minds, The Merry Widow, and Death of a Scoundrel. This is starring Lana Turner as Georgia Lorison. Remember, she was in Imitation of a Life. The Postman Always Rings Twice. Peep Toe Pumps. Peep Toe Pumps. That's not the name of the movie, but that was in the Postman. Listen to that episode. She was in Zigfield Girl, Peyton Place, and she was also in Falcon Crest. Just to name a few, she's in other credits. Um, remember also, isn't Lana Turner the one who her daughter killed her boyfriend? Daughter killed Lana's boyfriend. Yes. Um, yeah. It's one because of those Hollywood stories. You can look yeah, it up. It was a Me Too story, too. Mm-hmm. Kurt Douglas as Jonathan Shields. He just recently passed away February 5th, 2020 at 103 years old. He was a U.S. Navy communications officer in anti-submarine warfare aboard the USS PL-1139. Nerd alert. Lauren Bacall was a... Okay, Kurt Douglas was a ragman's son, so he was poor. Their family was super poor. They came... They were Jewish... Russian Jewish immigrants, I believe, who came to New York and lived in New Amsterdam. And they lived in the poor uh, part of the town. And in the poor part of the town, the ragman who went around and just got scrapes of everything was the poorest of the poor. And so he was the ragman's son. 
So he had oh. experienced crippling poverty. And when he went to school, Lauren Bacall was a classmate of his and was younger, but she had a huge crush on Kirk Douglas. And Kurt Douglas didn't really pay, like they were friends, but he didn't pursue her because she says that he was too old for her. And the age difference between Kurt Douglas and Lauren Bacall was eight years. And she went on to, so she went on to marry Humphrey Bogart, who was 25 years older than her. So if she had a type. Um, she had a type. She, she like say a daddy issue she, or two definitely did but she is the one who is responsible for getting kurt douglas his first motion picture role oh well done because she um recommended him got him his first role so he was also in the strange love of martha ivers a letter to three wives champion Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea excuse me gunfight at the okay corral spartacus and seven days. I in, am Spartacus. And seven days in May, to name a few. He, this guy was. I mean, you know. And he's also the father of Michael Douglas. He uh, he was always so intense when he was acting. Yes. Well, he it's came from intense. a very intense background. This was life yeah. or death for him. Yeah. So can you? I wonder how he was. Um, you know, like how parents are. Like in my day, and then he has a son. His son grew up in Hollywood. Can you imagine? Like, I grew up in crippling poverty. My son's growing up in Hollywood. But by all accounts, it seems as though, like, it didn't go horribly wrong for them. They seem to have a great relationship. I'm sure there are always issues. I'm sure that, you know, in in his 103 years, he probably had, there were off and ons with his son, Michael. But for the most part... They seem to get along well. And especially because I think Michael Douglas was born in the 40s, like maybe the mid to late 40s. True baby boomer. So you yeah. know that he must have had some issues with uh, the whole 60s and just looking at the age range and knowing that he himself came from nothing. Yeah. And people who tend to overcome that always, they do because they have that chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that's... Mm-hmm. Like, when you come from super, super poverty, that's something that no matter how much money you make always stays with you. Yeah. But he was saving the wrapping paper at Christmas. Rinsing out and reusing uh, plastic bags. Plastic bags bags that never got really clean. It was a thing. He was doing it for the environment. He just didn't know. Dick Powell played James Lee Bartlow. He was in 42nd Street, Murder My Sweet, which nerd alert, he portrayed Detective Philip Marlowe. So he was the first man to portray Detective Philip Marlowe on film. And we know Philip Marlowe from when we did The Big Sleep because Humphrey Bogart was Philip Marlowe in that. Marlowe. Yes. Concerned, he was also in... Ah, and The Red Hood. The something and the red hood. Oh, I can't read what I wrote there. My apologies. We have Walter Pigeon as Harry Pebble. He was also in How Green Was My Valley, Funny Girl, Mrs. Miniver, Nerd Alert. He was the 10th president of the SAG Awards. He was the president oh, okay. after Ronald Reagan. 
was president of the SAG Awards. We have Barry Sullivan, who was Frank Emil. He was in Lady in the Dark, Payment on Demand, Queen Bee, Another Town, Another Place. That guy was, this guy was in a bunch of movies. So was Walter Pigeon. Like, yeah, Walter was, Pigeon is a really big known, well, mm-hmm. yeah. baby boomers might remember his name. Yeah, because that dude's in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gloria Graham, she played Rosemary Bartlow. Remember, she was in It's a Wonderful Life. She was. She was our little floozy. Mm-hmm. She's also in Crossfire, The Big Heat, in Oklahoma. Where the... Here's an uncomfortable nerd alert. Uh-oh. She was married four times. Her last marriage that lasted the longest of all the, her marriages, lasted for 14 years, was to the son of of her second husband. Oh, that is uncomfortable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Are we, are we done? No, we have Gilbert Rowland, who played Gaucho. He's a Mexican-born American film actor. He was also in We Were Strangers, and during the mid to late 40s, he was in all of this B-Western Cisco Kid movies. He was also in Around the World in 80 Days. And this guy was also in a ton of movies as well. And we have Paul Stewart, who played Sid. He was in Citizen Kane and Kiss Me Deadly. He was in the pilot of MacGyver. He also directed television shows like Peter Gunn and The Twilight Zone. And so there you have it. Those are the particulars. It's a a pretty star-studded cast. It is. I have to say... Not to pat myself on the back, but this is one of those movies. If you should ever find yourself with a little extra time on your hands, check it out. Yeah, because it's one I don't know if you'd heard about it much. I'd only heard about it from this enlightening podcast. I've I've come across it in different. Well, you had to hear about it because it was mentioned in. You must remember this episode. It's just one of those movies that it just kind of always pops up. The bad and the beautiful. The bad and the beautiful. And I'm like, what is this, the bad and the beautiful? You know, truthfully, because of the bold and the beautiful, I kind of felt like it was a soap opera-ish thing. But it um, really felt like a film noir to me. Yeah, it, it was. It was a lot like Citizen Kane. Yeah, it was. It. it um, I enjoyed it. Be, okay. Well, I will set the table. Yes. It is black and white. We um, Beautiful start, black and white. We start with a, uh, a, a crest, a family crest, and it says Shields Pictures uh, in the crest. And that's where the, where the, um, are running, the, the credits are running over that. Yeah, it's the, and the kind of credits where it's like, Lana Turner, and it, the credits come at you. Where they're screaming to you, Lana Turner, Kirk Douglas. But no peep-toe pumps for for Lana this time. Well, I I believe maybe peep-toe pumps were out of fashion at this time. Are they ever out of fashion? I don't, I haven't seen a ton of them. Oh, must redo closet. <laughs> we hear a telephone ringing and then we see that it is stage five. And there is a dude on a camera boom, and he is coming in above the shot, and there's an actress laying down, not laying down. And 
the um the dude on the camera boom is Mr. Emil hmm? Fred Emil. Um, Emil. And Emil. he is obviously a director and somebody's saying there is a Jonathan Shields on the phone for you. And he says, I'm not taking it. And then we see Miss Georgia. She's the actress. Um, and they, oh, and she's at her home, I assume, because her maid. Mm-hmm. POC alert. Uh, answers the phone. And she is also not taking the call. And then we see a writer. But she and- does pick up the, the receiver. I guess they weren't hip in the early 50s because well okay so for people before for landline for people who remember landline phones i remember in the 80s and 90s when you picked up the phone you could hear when somebody else picked up on the other end like there was was a a click click. sound so she picked up another phone line and was listening in to hear what this jonathan shields had to say but she doesn't want to talk to them so you're like ah Aha. She does that frequently in mm-hmm. this film. And um, the writer, somebody's saying, um, somebody from Paris, Mr. Shields. Um, and the writer takes the call. But then he says, drop dead and hangs yes. up. Drop dead. That would have been Betty Davis. <laughs> that was a good it. Betty Davis. It was. So the next scene, three of them arrive together at the Shields Manor Studio. I think Manch- it's their studio, but it maybe I, it's their yeah. mansion. So they ring the bell. Uh, yeah, the, the we'll find out about the mansion in a minute. They ring the bell, and while they're doing that, somewhere Lana Turner pulls out a um, magic marker. <laughs> And draws a mustache on the person in the family crest. Ooh. She's, she's defacing private property. I laughed because although the guy that she's with, Fred Emil, has a mustache. So it's always funny to me why they, they draw, like, ooh, you defaced it. I, I thought to myself and wrote down in my notes, that would have been a dick now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you ooh, a mustache. Okay, well, Harry is uh, at the mansion studio um, complex, and he is very nervous, and they go, go into a room where you see five Oscars, and Harry is complimenting everyone, telling them how amazing they are. And um, then he's, then they go, okay, you know, cut the, cut the shit. What, why are we here? And he's going, well... You know, Jonathan wants to produce a new picture. And um, well, he wants been... to make a picture. He wants the writer to write it. He wants the director to direct it. And he wants um, Peep Toe Pumps, Lana Turner's Glor- Georgia to be in it. Correct. But I'm like, but what's the story? <laughs> They're just like, we're going to make a picture. Are you in? Right. And then. Well, like, uh- Evidently, he's been begging for two years to give me your answer. And then he goes, I know you'll never work for him with him again. 
And then we start with, so so what's going to happen is we're going to have backstories of all three of them. Yeah, we get the flashbacks of the reasons why all three of these people ignored and didn't want to take Jonathan Shields' call. Correct. So our first person is Fred. See, I had trouble with names because they didn't really, uh, I had trouble with names. Did you have it on closed caption? No. Oh, I did. I thought you put it on closed caption. And then I was just like, ah, it's not too bad to just leave it on. So I did do a lot of rewinding because I was reading it. And then I'm like, but the beautiful cinematography. And then I'd have to rewind Ah, it. Okay. Well, Fred is saying it all started 18 years ago. And Fred is at a funeral for Hugo Shields. And there are a lot of people there, but he keeps talking under his breath as the officiant of the funeral is saying positive things. Fred is saying derogatory things under his breath. And he's standing right next to this guy who has tears in his eyes, who happens to be Kirk Douglas. Yes. Well, at the end of of the funeral... Kirk is uh, handing out money. $11. I $11. $11 to any... He had to pay people to come to his father's funeral. Yes, to it be mourners. They were extras. He hired extras. But and he you didn't find out pay. that his father was a film producer. So his father was a, a film, had his own studio, but everything went bust for him. And he made a lot of enemies. So it's not as if this Jonathan Shields has any connections or anything. Right, right. Um, But he doesn't pay the $11 to Fred because he was supposed to come and be a mourner, not a sarcastic person. And so he didn't pay the $11 because he didn't do his job. Well, next scene, Fred goes to Jonathan's house to apologize. And this, no, never mind. He goes to Jonathan's house to apologize. And who's looking for a job? He's Fred looking, looking for, for a job? They're both looking for a job. He, Fred, <laughs> See, Fred is on... He wants to be a director, but he's... At that time, because this is the 30s, they had what was called Poverty Row in Hollywood, where they were making... It wasn't the big studios. They would just be... just cranking out these films and stuff and just trying to put enough money together to eat. Right. And Shields, he wants to get in the business. He wants to get into producing and stuff. And so... He said... Go ahead. Well, because Fred is really good at directing. He's like, I'm really good at directing, but I have this downfall. I can't sell myself. And Shields mm-hmm. is like, well, you're selling yourself to me. Well, what's the problem? He's like, I don't know. For some reason, I, I just feel like I can talk to you. I, I just have this rapport. But with everyone else, I can't sell myself. So I don't I don't get the good jobs. So then these two strike up a partnership and start doing these Poverty Row B quick, quickie pictures. Where they have to do absolutely everything. Yeah. They are the set people. and the, Okay, but, but Jonathan does say, if my father died last year, I'd be a millionaire. Oh, so yes. it, I missed that. So it went down fast. It went him. down fast. And now I don't have a dime. Yeah, because he took the last of the cash on hand to pay the extras at the funeral. Right. 
So maybe he, uh, you shouldn't have ha- had hired extras for the funeral and just save the cash. I, yeah, I mean, know. there were a lot of people there. Yeah, he paid a lot of extras. But in another way, his first production. Yeah, true. Um, he's, uh, somebody said something about his father being a heel, and he said he was the heel. But he made great pictures. Okay, well... Uh, Fred and Jonathan become best friends, and we have a second person of color, or maybe not, because there were... Yes, I wrote it down, because this is a scene where they're depicting how they would make their quickies, their quick films. So they're Western-themed, and there's a guy, the cowboy that's on the horse, and then there's a... First American, which in this context, I feel comfortable calling him an Indian because that's what they were. That's what he was being. The, the stereotype down to the music that was being. Yeah. Played. So he has to run off. It, it's it, it's actually like quite impressive because it's all in a long shot. So this guy, these guys are really doing this. And it kind of shows how fearless some might say reckless the early pictures were of how the guy just runs off the cliff and takes the guy off a real horse and everything, and they fall and fight. I put him down because I was like, oh, that's a first American. But then when I thought of it, because I, mm-hmm. I was so impressed by the stunt, I was like, I don't, I bet that's mm-hmm. a white stunt man that they just painted. That's what I think, too, at this point. So, mm-hmm. so there we go. Um, they said um, they were making movies and they crashed the best parties. So they are in a really ritzy party, and Harry is playing poker. Harry is the guy who got uh, the three of them together to say in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, they're talking about B-movies. Um, and then there were four people. So there was the writer, the director... Um, there was Kirk Douglas, and then there was the girlfriend of... I think of Fred. Of Fred. So it was four of them. So they said if they pooled all their money, he he could go back and he could play in that poker game. Because, because yeah, his father could beat the head guy at that poker game, and he used to always be able to beat his father. So he could make him some decent money in this poker game. Mm-hmm. Well, he lost six thousand dollars. They were able to pool six thousand. No, probably he was. He got up and then he, he lost it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you'll find out why. Harry Pebble won, um, and so he goes to Harry Pebble and he can't pay his debt. But he says, "You put me uh, on staff here, and I'll pay you back." Um, so you. So then you're like. Oh, this guy is working on a different level. Yes. He got his friends to give him money because he said, this guy always used to, my father used to always beat him. I used to always beat my father so we can make money. So they're like, all right. So they give him the money. But in his idea, he's looking for the long way because he needs to get into Hollywood. And so if he, he knows that he could beat Harry Pebble, but he also knows that if he loses, then he owes money to Harry Pebble and he can go to Harry Pebble and say, I know that I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have your money. How about I work it off for you? And that's his foot in the door to be a Correct. producer. 
correct, which I didn't get at the time. Okay. Um, but Harry does say to him, you have to do everything in a cute way. Because mm -hmm. um, Harry, Harry's in, in on the rub. Yeah. Next scene, uh, Fred and Kurt Douglas, Jonathan, and the girl are at the beach, and they get engaged. I don't know why we even had to have that know, scene. I don't know, because I didn't know who the girl was. Yeah, she I was didn't like, have is that supposed name? to be Lana Turner? And then he, it's the three of them, and they're celebrating because Shields got, Kurt Douglas got the foot in the door, and he's going to bring my main man with him, and that's good for them and then he pulls out a ring and it's like well why don't you guys make it official so I, it was weird it was kind of like are they a thruple what's going on here it was weird to me because he was he was making the proposal happen it's like what do you have invested in this yeah yeah but her name was k she was called oh. k a couple times but she had no other part really in the movie they made uh, 11 B pictures, and they were going to do the Doom of the Catman, which was like a um, 1950s Cats. I mean, if if the Cats people had seen this, they would have known, just don't do a movie <laughs> what are, what are we Or they yeah. would have come up with the solution that yes. Shields came up with. Which was? Which was the solution that Steven Spielberg came up with when he was in Jaws. It was turn make don't see the cats. So he shields goes in a great scene with great lighting. He's like, turn it off. It's in the dark. What's in the dark? Only you can you can show what you want to be seen. And he's like, I love it. He's like, we don't show the cats. Exactly, we don't show the cats. Yeah, because the costumes <laughs> that horrible. was it was it was a funny bit. Yeah, it was a funny bit. Well, the the guy, I forgot to write it down. So. Put him down for honorable mention is the wardrobe guy, because yes. he was selling it. He was like, "Oh, look! Well, if he stands, if if he stands like this, he can't see it. Oh, well, here you cinch it up. You don't have to see that it. Doesn't zip up in the back. Look at this. This is how it looks. It's great. Muslin. It'll work. Well, just put some muslin in here. Muslin. It reminded me of that joke your your grandpa used to tell. Did you ever hear him tell that joke about the guy who got the suit? No. Which oh, grandpa? Okay. My daddy. Oh. I'll have to tell it to you sometime because it's a it's a visual joke. Oh. Okay, well <laughs> on the on the podcast. <laughs> uh I'm, I'm maybe I will no, I can't do that. Um they have a sneak preview of the Doom of the Cat Man man, and Harry hadn't seen it yet, and so they are sneaking it in because See, Harry wants to see the men in the cat costumes, and there aren't any. So they they steal all the reels, and that's how movies used to be. That is that they were canisters because every ten minutes, if you looked in the upper right hand corner, there would be a dot, and then another dot, and that was for the projectionist to know that he had to get ready to switch the reels over because you had to manually move the projector out and seamlessly put it in so the movie would keep going. Yeah. Um, and so at the end of the sneak preview, they had a place where you could fill out comment cards. You've been to yes. before. Have you ever done that? Yeah. The test screening. So they'll screen a movie early and they want you to, to 
test audiences what worked for you what didn't work for you all of that what what have you what did you see as a test er i don't remember it was it was more than a couple i had time on my hands when i first got to la <laughs> okay so you see uh people scrambling to get to the comment cards and the big one you see is it stinks but then as they're as they're compiling them they're finding out that there were more goods than there were negatives were they or in in the classic hollywood fashion and human nature were they just plucking out all of the cards that said it was good <laughs> very very possibly and uh, Jonathan and Fred say we're getting to know our business. But then Jonathan gets, he gets down. It's um, almost like every time Aaron leaves, I go into a little bit of a depression. So he gets an after pictures blues going on. And so uh, he gets um, Fred and they're driving around Hollywood and he says, I want to take you to this place. And there, it's this gated place where we've seen the gates before. And it's an old rundown mansion. Yeah, it feels it, very much Citizen Caney. Yes, it was. And it's called the Crow's Nest. And um, Jonathan is saying uh, it was George Lorison's house he was a great actor and he was a great man well no they were running him down they were saying what a jerk he was and then there's a girl like hanging out of the attic. well he george so george lorison was the the film star and he made a bunch of pictures with his father and their you know their careers as producer and actor went they had ups and downs and stuff but he was around a lot and worked with his father. And on the wall is a um, a quick sketch drawing done by George Lorison of Hugo Shields as a devil. Yes. And that's like on a piece of wallpaper. And Jonathan um, cuts it out. He wants to keep that drawing and he actually has it framed and put in his... He said it was the most accurate representation of his father. Ouch. He was a rat and a drunk. Um, well, there is a girl crying up in the attic. All we ever see are her legs hanging out. Mm -hmm. um, well, the two find out that they have a new assignment. So they go in for their new assignment, and it is called Son of the Catman. Which is not what they wanted. They wanted to deliver a hit and to show that they knew what they were doing and to get promoted and move on. And in Hollywood fashion, they were like, guys, you did so good the first time. Let's run it back. And then, because it would become cousin of the cat man and mm -hmm. bastard son of the cat man. Um, so they say the time has come. And the writer, the director throws a book at John, the far away mountain. And, and John goes, oh no, this has been passed on so many times. So many people have tried to sell this as a screenplay. And the director goes, It's impossible goes, to adapt. I have already got an outline scene for scene. He's like, I solved the problem. We can handle it. Let's do it. 
So they take it to Harry and Harry says no. Well, Harry has a great line about he's not in the business for awards. He's in the business to make money. He doesn't care about awards. He just wants to put fannies in the seats. That's and true. stay in the black. That's true. Well, at this point, they are auditioning. Well, because so, but they wear him down because Harry is running the studio and because Shields is an up and comer. Now he, Harry is starting to hear about, he doesn't know what he's doing running this. Not that he doesn't know what he's doing running the studio, but that it's not his talent that is responsible it's the Shields guy who is responsible. Mm -hmm. So Harry sees the opportunity that if he allows Shields to go off and make this picture, which nobody's been able to make, and he's it's 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 in Harry's eyes, there's no way that this thing can succeed. It's gonna be a flop, and then the industry's gonna see that it's really Harry who is the talent mm -hmm. behind mm -hmm. everything, and you know, the Shields is Whatever he's 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 a mortal. He's not a a genius wonderkin. Correct. So that's why he agrees. He's like, all right, basically, I'm gonna give you enough rope to go hang yourself. Right. Yeah, that's what he actually says. So we are. Um, so they say they have the shields touch. Uh, and that's actually Jonathan's magic. So they're testing for the leading man who is a Hispanic man. Yes. So I said, oh, my gosh, we could have two more POCs. But I went, no, I think this is the way of the um, first American and that it was people um, pretending to be. Oh, Hispanic. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, but but Jonathan says, oh, I they wanted Gaucho. Gaucho mm -hmm. was like, I guess, the Rudolph Valentino of the time. Yeah, Gaucho he, was the, the stereotypical Latin lover. Exactly. So Jonathan goes, I know how to get him to do our movie. And next you see a blonde bimbo. Mm -hmm, who's dancing. And then Gaucho's dancing around her. You know what? She was dancing very much like... Yes! Um, she, you know what I'm saying? She had it like it's a madman, madman yes. world. How the woman had she's not dancing the same way, but she does have this sort of dead eye, like a mannequin quality about her face. She's not looking at Gaucho. She's not enjoying herself, but she's not not enjoying herself. It's it's very much a business transaction. You can tell that she is doing this as a business transaction. She has been hired to. Because she she fits the mole. She's the type. And she's the type that Gaucho likes. Gaucho right. likes the blondes. The blondes. Okay. And so, yeah. And she's dancing. Like, she's probably drunk and probably got a little something else going on, too. Well, Jonathan doesn't really drink much. And he gets totally drunk trying to convince Gaucho to be in their movie. Um... At, at which point, I think, um, Gaucho goes, why didn't you guys just ask me? Yeah, because, well, Fred has to, he, uh, Jonathan passes out. Fred gets him over the shoulder, you know, puts pours him onto the couch because he's passed out. And Gaucho was like, hey, does your friend always uh, 
go out like this? And he was like, no, he drank, he did, he usually doesn't drink at all, but he drank too much because he really wants to convince you to do this picture. And Gaucho tells Fred, well, why don't you just show me the script? If it's, if I want to act in something, I'll act in something. I'm not, you know, I'm not snobby about it. He's like, I don't really get that great of parts, truth be told. <laughs> so what do you got? So he go, so Fred's like, what? And so he goes in, he gives him the script. The whole time I'm thinking, Jonathan planned this because that's what he does with everything. He plans he does plan everything. everything several steps ahead. So I'm like, ah, this was all part of his plan. So next scene, they're having a conference in Harry's office, but Jonathan is in there. Harry's in there, but Fred is not in there. He's not in this meeting. Um, so Jonathan goes in and goes, we got Gaucho. Because, okay, so when when he got, when Harry Pebbles okayed and gave the green light to do the faraway mountain, you know, they're a small picture. So it wasn't like, and this guy's a penny pincher. Like he likes to be in the black. So he didn't give him a blank check and say, go off and do your masterpiece. He's like, okay, you can go off and do it, but it's going to be a small budget. But as soon as Gaucho agreed to sign on to the picture, he's a big star. So people are going to come see the movie kind of no matter what. Mm -hmm. It's the difference between, you know, in the 90s and stuff, you had an unknown or Julia Roberts was going to be in your movie. Right. Once Julia Roberts is going to be in your movie, then they're going to put more resources behind the movie. Now, when they put more resources behind the movie, that means they need a little bit more guarantee that it's going to be a decent movie. Correct. Well, they got a million dollars to make the movie, but... But? Fred is not ready to direct a million dollar picture. Fred is out. Now, remember, Fred wrote the script. Fred was the one that came with the idea. He's the one scene that by scene. broke the script down. And then he and Shields worked together on the whole thing. Yeah. And so, basically, Shields steals the movie from him and says, yeah. look, they're giving us a million dollars, but they're not going to let you direct a million dollar picture. They're going for this other guy who is a bona fide director. And, they're, right. and he's going to do it. And so Fred's like, what the hell does that leave me? And Jonathan's like, look, I know, but just it's going to be a hit. And then you're, I'm going to take you with me because that's what I've always done. I've always taken you with me. And Fred's mm -hmm. a little bit like, yes, motherfucker just took my dream project. Exactly. And the director, who had a little Hitchcockian feel to him. Yes, he was supposed to be. Yeah, came out and said, this script is by a producer, but it's written like a director oh, would have written it. He was so enthralled and in love. Which is exactly what had happened. A director yep. did write it. Um, and guess what? Jonathan got an Oscar for... The Faraway far Mountain. The Faraway Mountain. So that's the end of the beef that fred has with jonathan yeah that's the so, director backstory he stole his picture so now we go to georgia but we also but so then after this though harry does say 
when it comes back from the flashback and they're sitting there, Harry is kind of cond he, what is it condescending? Because he's like, oh, I know that he ruined your career. Because after this all happened, Fred went out and got his own Oscars and right. became it's, it's his own. aggressive. Yeah, what that's what it is. He's he's saying, okay, so yeah, he dumped you, but then that forced you to go out on your own and become extremely successful on your own, which might not have happened if you, if this bad thing hadn't happened. Yeah, so he kind of set you up for success. So are you going to still hold on to that little grudge when it ended up working out for everyone in the long end? It was his, it was his project. Okay, we have Georgia. And she is going to audition for Jonathan. And she is bad. <laughs> She's not a good actress. She is gorge. She's an alcoholic. She's got issues. She's, she's got I thought you were gonna say she's got baggage. Baggage. <laughs> she's got lots of baggage with, with lots of bottles hanging behind her. And he picks her out of the audition. Um, she looks at... Uh, I oh, think she, he knows who she is. Well, she sees the the framed devil portrait of his father that she knew her father had drawn. Yeah, and she... If he... Because remember when he was when Jonathan was take cutting out the picture, mm -hmm. he told the story how he he really liked her father who was the actor because this was problematic. I think at thirteen, he gave her Jonathan his first sip of alcohol, and like yeah. at fifteen, probably paid for his first prostitute. It doesn't say that, but I'm just reading between the lines. Yeah. And so he was just that guy. He was kind of like the the you know the uncle and stuff to him. So Jonathan would have to. I bet John because we never saw her because we only saw her legs. But I think once he saw her face, he knew that that was Larson's daughter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he gave her the part. And then she knows who he is because she sees the portrait that her father had right. drawn. And it's right. like, oh, I see. So um, it comes out that she gets bit parts just enough to buy her next bottle because of people who knew her father. And they're doing her favors just because of their respect for her father. Mm -hmm. And because she's a she's good looking and she's a woman in Hollywood. So and she's gorgeous. Okay. So the second take, John talks to Georgie. You don't hear what he says, but the second take is better and they print it. Um, so then Georgia is later stumbling to her apartment because she got drunk after that take. Well, she's a full blown alcoholic. Yes. And she stumbles into her apartment, which wasn't locked. And uh, Jonathan is sitting there in her apartment. So she just assumes he's there for the sex. She's going to get a job because he's going to 
Take her to bed. And that's so how Hollywood's yeah. working, you know. So she's, she's going, going okay, well, let's get it over with. She's got a Murphy bed. She pulls down. Whoa. She gets in her jammies. <laughs> she does get it. She gets in her PJs. Well, actually, before she she makes a comment about like um because the part was so bit that she thought she wouldn't have to. <laughs> yeah. I to didn't think I'd have to do him. this for that. Play but this okay, part. whatever. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and she has a wall of her father's memorabilia and she's saying how much she hates him, but so it's a love hate relationship. And then Jonathan says, how many times did you attempt suicide? He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> she says twice and, uh, put, oh, the last and then was six months ago. Yeah. And he picks up her father's mirror pipe. Oh, a pipe. Yeah, the the Mirishum pipe, the kind from Germany that are all carved. She doesn't put that pipe down. I thought he was going to break it because those are highly breakable. (laughs) But he doesn't do that, but he puts on a record that is her father saying lines. Orator, orating. What's the word when you're an orator? You're you're an orator, orating. Yeah, that. That's uh, on all a going record. on, on a record. Uh, that needs a record player. And then she goes into this whole, oh, my God, I'm so... Uh, and he goes, oh, you're playing the doomed daughter of a star. <laughs> Which she is, to a T. And he drew a mustache on her father's... On her father's real portrait. Oh, not the yeah. devil portrait. On his real portrait. And she just couldn't believe it. I want to know where they're carrying around these magic markers in 1950. Well, the first one, when it was in the real time, she would have a marker because she was a big-time star. So big-time stars would carry around those markers for the uh, autograph seekers. It's like now, if you were famous, you kind of would have a Sharpie somewhere. Well, your assistant would. Exactly. Like J-Lo... If she if she blesses the the populace with her presence, would ha- somebody in her uh, clique would have a sharpie if that's what she chose to do. But now you know what sharpies are. It's not autographs anymore. It's the selfie. Yeah. Okay. Well, he picks up the record and he breaks it. <gasps> And she throws a bottle at him. And it looks like he, she really hits she him. She had a great arm and great aim. And they struggle. Oh, and Ma, assumes- real quick. That reminds me, if we're, if we're putting together the starlit uh, baseball team, Donna Reed, Lana oh, Turner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Make a mental note. Donna Reed and, and Lana Turner. They're our, they're, uh, they are our pitchers. Yeah, or I don't know enough about baseball to... I know that I think the left fielder has to have a great arm, but... And I was born and raised in Cincinnati, and I don't know the answer. I know they like to play baseball, you gotta have a good arm, so we're just gonna... We're we're not gonna assign them to any position yet. We're just gonna say Donna Reed, Lana Turner are on our team. Or they could be quarterbacks of our football team. And we would not have a racist name. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah. so they they struggle together. They're fighting, and you assume it's going to end in a kiss and some hot sex, but it doesn't. No. She starts crying, so I'm sure snot's coming out. Yeah. And um, he puts her to bed and leaves, and he tells her, you got to get out of this shrine. Snap wanna... out of it. Yeah. Okay. Next scene, it's two hours to get ready for her screen test for a, a big part. And she's running lines with her manager, who is a bit time manager. And she is smoking, 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 smoking. She was smoking in her bed. Okay. So the screen tests are being shown, and she's listening. And everybody says, she stinks. Yeah, I mean, she it. is... She's up she, in the projection she, room. They run it. She watches herself. And then they open the, the window so they can hear what the executives are saying. And she, I, I, I was going, is Lana Turner acting to be a bad actress? That would have to be hard to do. Because she was really good at it because she was a really bad actress. Because, yeah, this. you have to be able to act well in order to act bad. Poor. Portray it. That's why people say that the the characters who are really good at being the dumb characters tend to be the smartest people, like Lisa Kudrow as Phoebe. That she's she's actually Lisa Kudrow is super smart, and that's why she's so good at being Phoebe because you have to be super smart to know what being super dumb is. So you're telling me that that Matt LeBlanc is super smart? Cops, he was I mean, there's always exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> we don't mean that, Matt LeBlanc. I know you're listening. And we know that that you were a, a fine actor and you have average intelligence. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that Lisa Kudrow has above intelligence. Oh, like yeah, how they're... Gina Davis is in Mensa, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so... Uh, she comes out, Gus pours her a drink. Now, this is her manager who knows she is an alcoholic and, and this he is pours her, her a drink. Her manager, so her manager is is the, the man, the salt of the earth kind of Hollywood manager. He doesn't have any big clients. None of his clients make money. And she's still with this guy because he's still with her. And mm -hmm. they have this just super loyalty. And... Yeah, he pours her a drink, and you're just going, my man, dude. What are you doing, dude? She she's not allowed to have that. She can't <laughs> have just one. This reminds me. Uh, we had uh, a neighbor who was. Uh, they were just good people. They were people of the church, and they they truly believed in their faith, and they believed in the goodness of everybody. And so the husband brought home this homeless man one time to do some chores around the house because he obviously, he needed some money. And so the homeless man told him, I have to keep my blood alcohol level at a certain rate or I just can't function. Yeah, he goes through withdrawals. That's how much of an alcoholic that guy is. It's very sad. He, yeah. It's so like he, why people, heroin addicts have to go to methadone clinics because they, they can't just stop. It, they need to be weaned off of them and to get it out of their system. True. Jeez. Okay, well, she still gets the job because Jonathan is in charge. He's given her the job. Well, she goes to a 
costume fitting, and it's Leave it to Beaver's mom. Oh, is that June Allison? June Cleaver. June Cleaver? But the actress who played June Cleaver. I'll look uh, it up while you I don't talk. remember her name. But anyway, she's going, she can't carry this dress. This dress is, you, you have to glide as you walk. And, you know, she turns around and she trips over the train. She is Barbara not. Barbara Billingsley. Barbara Billingsley. Yes. Everybody is running her down at this fitting. And he goes, you know what? I'm sending you to Palm Springs for a week. You can have, you, you're no drinking, no men, and but you're just going to relax, rejuvenate, and then you're going to come back and we're going to start filming this, this movie. Um, and... She says, I've been a good girl, haven't I? Yeah, she's... <sighs> so, um, the set director's there. I think the set director was the Cowardly Lion. Oh, His I wasn't paying just attention. just like the Cowardly okay. Lion. Okay, well, Georgia comes onto the empty set the day before. Because she was the... very nervous. Yeah. She sees her chair with her name on it. She sees her own dressing room. And there is a gift on her dressing table. It is a necklace. I had to wait because I wasn't sure what kind, but it was a pearl necklace. And the note said, to my new star, who will make me very, very proud of her, Jonathan. And she goes, oh, my throat, my throat's so dry. She got, she got real nervous. I had to have a drink. Oh. She dried out, and she, now she has she to have a drink. Her throat was so quick, and she was like, oh, man, the pressure, the pressure. So she was just like, I, I'm so... I'm parched, that tells you. I'm parched. And it has been an hour. Have we not hooked you? Are you not entertained? Because we still haven't seen what Jonathan does to totally alienate her and we haven't seen what Jonathan does to the writer. Yes. So we're only halfway through this shindig. And so we, we haven't even mentioned Gloria Graham because she shows up in the writer. Oh, she is so good. So... Oh, there uh, there is a uh, tasty nugget about her. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we're going to stop you there. Hey, you got nothing else to do. I'm saying. That's great. Go back and watch this. Watch all about Eve. Hey, you might wanna you might wanna hit on um, the third uh, man. Was the third, that the to some that I forget we even did Butterfield Eight? Go go watch. I might have to watch him again. The third man was the one with Orson Welles. I'm pretty sure that that that's it. That's really good. It is. There really are some good. really good ones that we've done. And I will say that our very first one, our premiere, Gone with the Wind. You're gonna. You're going to see Gone with the Wind in a different way after you hear takes from this. But we are still here with the bad and the beautiful. And we have a POC count that is kind of fluid. Okay, so Marietta Canty played Ida, who was the maid. Yeah. She was also in Rebel Without a Cause. I had to do some searching for this because I'm like, I just, she seemed very familiar yeah, I wondered if she was Mammy from Gone with the Wind, but she wasn't. No, she was the maiden rebel without a cause. Okay. She was also in The Lady is Willing, The Spoilers. She was a political activist and humanist. 
She ran and won for the Hartford City Council position. She, well done. she won a humanitarian award, Harvard section of the National Council of Women, and certificate of service and award of recognition for the American Red Cross. Well done. Mm-hmm. And her name is Ida? No, she played Ida. I'm she sorry. was Marietta Canty. C A N T Y. Um, so we have her. I did write down the first American, but I put a quotation mark because it's probably a mm-hmm. white man painted up. Mm-hmm. So that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But we do have gaucho. We have two for sure. Mexican. We have three for sure. Um, I have three, the three, there are three black movie extras that are on the Southern set that I didn't know at what period the film was to be if they were slaves or they were just the butlers. If this was after the Civil War or before in that movie. But they are serving the white man one way or another. And then there was two butlers on the Van Elstein picture on that set. Okay. So I'm... And then, okay, so that takes me down to seven, but then we have the two actors who screen tested, so I right. think For we're Gaucho's at nine. Part. Okay. But that's a fluid nine. It's so, a fluid you know. nine. It's a fluid nine. It's back a solid seven. It, if you feel like we missed somebody or we did something wrong, you know, put it in the comments. We're, we, we got tough skins. Because, you know, um... Barry Sullivan, the Fred Emile, that I didn't know if I was like, a, if he's Italian yeah. or yeah. if there's some sort of uh, Central American, South American kind of thing right. going on. I believe the term is like, maybe Latinx is what's being said now. I, I don't know. What is what is being said now? Latinx. Not Latino. Well, because... From what I've read, and I don't, I don't know, because all of the terms, you know, it's like black people, colored, they were African American, then black. Like there's all these different terms, but right. there's definitely terms not to say. So, for Latinos, there's Latin X because you have Latino, which is that, you know, because Spanish has the genders. So Latino, that that's male, and Latina oh. is for women. And so then for it to be gender neutral, I think they're doing the Latin X. I'm okay. not an expert. I just am trying to just trying to to I, just doing my be best cr- here. I yeah, try not uh, trying not to offend. Yeah. Is, is, is what I'm trying to do. Whatever group, whatever they want to be called, that's fine with me. Yeah. Just tell me what it is and uh, remember that I'm 68 years old and I don't remember much. Okay, nerd alert! You've given us a few. I know you have some more. I do have. Put some that drink more. down and get to work, girl. Nerd alerts. Okay. So when he when Shields was starting out, and remember he needed to get the job, and he did his whole thing about how he lost money at the poker bet, mm-hmm. and that was to become a line producer, and a line producer is the key manager during daily operations so he works on the he they work on one uh, project at a time they handle the human resources and any problems that come up during production they're the logistics of the production and Mm. all department heads report to the line producer 
So you'll okay. see, sometimes you'll see like, oh, Steven Spielberg produced this movie and oh, he's producing this TV show. And you're like, how is he mm-hmm. doing? Because that's his name and he's like, you know, at the meetings, but he's not the line producer. So on TV, I think the line producer is the same as the showrunner. They're the ones that they're not just swooping in and being like, what's going on? They're the, the day-to-day ones that are production heads doing that. Like they're, okay. the, they're the ones who are in charge. Line um, producer listeners. So that it was based off of the 1949. It was of good and evil, which became the longer story, Memorial to a Bad Man. And that the Memorial to a Bad Man was um, New York theater producers will last will and testament and how it was about the director and the actor and the writer that he screwed over. And so Houseman thought that it was better to change it to Hollywood because he didn't want to do another movie about Broadway. Because remember, All About Eve had already come out. That had been a Mm -hmm. huge hit. All a bunch of movies had been already about Broadway. And he was like, there's nothing more to add about the Broadway experience. Let's be novel and change it to Hollywood. So he changed it to Hollywood. The production title was Tribute to a Bad Man. That -hmm. was the name of it. But it was they were afraid that it was gonna be mistaken as a Western. And so somebody got the title from F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Bad and the Beautiful. And John Houseman, he hated the title. But then he came to soften once it became a hit. But he did say, quote, anytime anybody's hard up on a title, they just take two adjectives and string them together with an and in between. I kind of felt like it was a it was an easy out. Yeah. I I did. But I I like the title. Well, it's like I the bad did. and the beautiful. Um on this article I found on the website Larson on Film and his review or their review, they mentioned about the implicit and explicit prostitution that's in Hollywood. So remember you have the blonde that obviously mm-hmm. gets hired to seduce Gaucho. Mm-hmm. Georgia, when you know she's always going out to these mm-hmm. parties and what's ex- expected of her to get parts. Um, Gaucho and Bartlow's wife mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. at the end, how they pr- pretty much just pimped out Gaucho to take care of the wife. And then Lila, like you know, what she was up to to try to get roles and get ahead. So it's me too's been around since the beginning in Hollywood. It's true. And then Vincente Minnelli, he was, people were like, why do you, why would you do a movie like this where you're basically setting fire to Hollywood and you're, you're working in Hollywood and stuff. And so he said that he didn't see Jonathan Shields as a horrible person. He said, first he has a weakness which makes him human. And second, he's tough on himself as he is on everyone else, which makes him honest. That's the complex, wonderful thing about human beings. Whether well, they're ambitious. Yeah, it's like whether they're in Hollywood, in the automobile business, or yeah. in neckties. But then you have to say, well, this is also coming from a film director himself. So 
you know, he understands what's going on. And then you kind of have to think of just how much, because he, by this time, Manelli had already been married and divorced from Judy Garland. Yeah. So it's one of those things where he's not, of course, he's not going to say like, D- look at this guy, look how horrible he is. He's going to be like, well, no, he was ambitious and he did this and this and that. And I didn't, there are like certainly scoundrelly things that he does, but that is scoundrelly Hollywood. Oh, you can so, you can so see him going into that meeting. The only way it's going to get made is if they have a seasoned director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to throw your friend over. You're going to come along. I'm going to give you assistant producer cred. Yeah, and you know he where we weren't in the room where it happened, we, so we don't know if he came in just right away and was like, look. You can like give him everything, or if in the negotiation he was like, "I took what they gave me exactly. once I saw that this was, this right. was what was on the table." I I read the handwriting yeah. on the wall. And with um, what's her face? He he was always honest. He was honest with her at the beginning of like, "I don't want to marry you. I don't want to have anything to do with you." But when it became obvious that. The only way he was going to get the performance out of Georgia that he needed was he had to manipulate her and become this weird father figure and string her along like they were in a relationship. And then, like, that didn't go well. Right. And then, you know, the stuff with... But then it also shows his progression of just how far he's willing to go. Oh, yeah. Where he's just like... But then, but then, you know, if he hadn't have set up the whole thing with Gaucho, that dude wouldn't have won a Pulitzer Prize because, right? I mean, his it wasn't like his wife was was like, no, I don't want to get on the plane. I don't want to hang out with Gaucho. Right. I'm I'm a married yeah. woman. I can't be doing this. So. So there's that. Okay, we are two reheatables. Mm-hmm. Okay, my negative ones. Well, I put question marks here on the Mexican actors because he was supposed to be Mexican. So we don't know if they were indeed um, Mexican heritage or if they were just made to look like that. The yeah, butt shot. Yeah, because they had the, a bunch of, because it was very stereotypical because they had yeah. the sombrero and yeah. that made me wonder about, is The Faraway Mountain a real book? Because I thought it was interesting that their their big project is this book and their lead is going to be a Mexican man. It, it's Bandito is what the they looked like. They had the ammunition strapped across their chest. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just like, wow, that's... On one hand, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But on the other, because you didn't really, it wasn't like you saw that a lot. But on the other hand, I'm like, man, I would have thought they would have just this be in Hollywood. They would, that would have been the first thing that they crossed out. It was like, he's Marlon Brando. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Okay. The butt shot uh, when they first uh, got Gaucho and they had paid the girl to dance uh there was a she was getting in a limo and the, the butt shot was way too long <laughs> it was very I mean, come on it was very gratuitous but the guy he was he was pretty good though just his his face and stuff it, it was it was good 
It was funny. And that that um, a person of Mexican heritage had to be with a blonde. Oh, because but yeah, because he's the be a blonde. He's the Latin lover. Yeah. Um, but when, the, they made it seem like that was his type as well, yeah, which is problematic. I know, but it's so stereotypical. Yeah. Well, you know, white women. Blonde white women. Okay. Um, when Jonathan tells Georgia, you've been a good girl. She's a grown up woman. You've been a good girl. Or when he drops her in the pool. And mm-hmm. then she and she comes out and she's like, he's like, what do you want me to do? Scold you and tell you that you've been bad and stuff. And she like nods her head. It's just like, oh, man, run yeah, away as exactly. fast as you can. And for her, Georgia, the only way that she could overcome her alcoholism was to she needed a man in her life. Yeah. yeah. OK. Smoking in bed again. How he treated Lila, was it Lila? Yeah. At the end, I mean, just shut up, just shut up. and I mean, sh- tell me to shut up. I'm going to shut up out the door. Yeah, but Lila, was, it, Lila wasn't in the position where she, because she was trying exactly. to get ahead. Um, you couldn't enjoy what I made possible for you, you know, well, he did make it possible for her. Okay. Jonathan said that to Georgia. You oh. couldn't enjoy what I made possible for you. Are those your bad ones? And there, I felt a bit of overacting in the car. <laughs> Crying. We'll have to talk about that later. We'll okay. push that. Oh, All right, man, that was that was okay. Those are my negatives that I came up with. So my battery heatables was the drawing the mustache as graffiti, like ooh, again. Nowadays Ouch. you would have drawn a dick, you know. It's just <laughs> just how it would have been. Coming out of his mouth, yeah. exactly, exactly. All the stereotypes. You have yes. the maids, the Latin lovers, the first Americans, actresses. Yeah, it just hits all the stereotypes. It certainly does. Um. Yeah, don't give Georgia the alcoholic a drink. <laughs> when he celebrates at one time, Jonathan pops champagne open. It was in the fitting. Remember, because she, she's yes. like, sit down. And he she's like, I can't. He's like, perfect. And then come over here. I'm popping the champagne. And I was like, let's not. Let's not I give know. the raging alcoholic a taste of champagne right before they're, you're about to start production. That's not something that's going to age well. Um, the I was really confused, and I've watched this scene four, maybe five times, when uh, Glo- Georgia goes off and, ha- like, binges out, and she he goes to her apartment because they can't find her anywhere. She's at the apartment. He takes her, carries her back to his place. So he was getting ready. He was putting on a, a tie and a white cocktail jacket, right? That's what those were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's the evening time. He goes mm-hmm. into her. It's, it seems like evening, but it could be in the early afternoon, evening. I don't know what time of year it is. Because then when he's carrying her to the pool, it's outside. And there's all these shadows and stuff where it's like... The sun's out here. 
and he drops her into the pool and then it cuts to her coming back out like in his overcoat and clothes while her clothes are getting dry and it's the evening time Mm -hmm. again and so i just i wondered if it was i don't know i'm pretty sure though it that that didn't it's small but it was i was just like wait what it's daytime again now it's nighttime again yeah it was was disorienting Uh uh-huh um there's a scene in the party scene you know that's it well i'll talk about him that my good reheatables but there's an actress telling the story about how if she sees a reporter who i think is a head of hopper type gossip columnist come in she's gonna deck her and she says it's it was a really weird story to try to follow what she's saying because she mentioned something about that she was ma- she's mad at this woman who wrote the story, but apparently her husband hit her, and it was it was just a weird story to kind of follow to be like, wait, what? I don't know. That was just weird to me. I rewound it and watched it like four or five times. I'm like, no, this, that's still really weird. I don't get it. And did it have anything to do with anything else? I thought that it was that that was Lana Turner at first because she was blonde and like holding court. But I don't think so. I think it was just to like to she was obviously a star and she was holding court telling this story. And it made it seem like she was mad at the gossip columnist for writing a story about her husband. But the gossip Uh, columnist didn't write a story didn't ask her to see if it hurt but it but then she went into this thing about hey i know that i'm a star and like when i'm out in public i expect and so it was just it was a real contradiction of like wait 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 wait, what am i supposed to feel about this um the story is set between 1934 and 1952 but all the women's clothing styles is strictly 1952 yeah yeah (laughs) So I was like, oh. Um, okay. Then this, they find out about the airplane crash from the t- the television. Or not the television, from the newspaper. That's yeah. already there. It's been printed. So they would do late editions, I'm sure. But the story has gone. It's been printed, rolled out, brought to this gas station, the guy sees the story. It says Gaucho. And then there's a picture of his wife killed in a plane crash. Right. Then they cut to the scene where they arrive by helicopter. Notice the cop, the chopper thing wings. They aren't like they're completely still. They get out of the plane and they're like, you need to come identify the body at the crash site. I was just like, wait, wow. we are taking liberties with time here. What is going on? <laughs> Yeah, really. Yeah, we preserved this 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 scene for you. Yeah, so. but yeah, it like all I mean, I know they were fast in getting newspapers out and whatnot, but that just seems a little bit ridiculous. Well, there were though morning editions and evening editions. Yeah, that's of what the I'm saying. The late editions. Day. But even if it was the late edition, it still had to you're still allowing for the time that it took. To verify the story, get it printed, 
Get it put Verify on the truck. Story. Who are you? Well, where, it, where are you living? Get it put on, like, all the printing, setting the types, getting it put on, then going about and putting it on the truck. That's what I'm talking about. All of that time. Okay. Got it. So what are your good reheatables? My good reheatables. Ah, the line, there are no great men, <laughs> only men. Um, oh, the guy who was the, the author who wrote the book and and early Virginia was liberally peppered with sex. I thought that was hysterical. Yeah. And just seeing 50s Hollywood, I, I always enjoy seeing 50s Hollywood. Yeah. And I have I have my MVP, so Oh well I have a lot of good reheatables. Okay. So let's buckle go. up. One, the cinematography. Absolutely fantastic. The first shot with you mentioned it with the crane and how it moves in and it mm-hmm. meets with the camera and the two cameras meet together because you're like, this is a film yes. about filmmaking. Yeah, but it was cool to see that for a non-filmmaking person to see the director on the crane going, let's get closer, let's get closer. That was cool. And -hmm. then this is one of those movies that all your favorite directors have seen. I'm sure Martin Scorsese has seen and referenced this movie. And I'm probably sure that when we did Cape Fear that it probably came up when I was doing Martin Scorsese because that party scene that he has where he come they come in and it's all one shot going through the three different conversations tell me that that's not like that the scene in goodfellas when they're coming into the i think it was the copa cabana or whatever it was and it was oh, one wow. long shot and how you're you're i had to, i guess i rewound it and watched that like five times because you have what's going on in the forefront foreground and the right. conversation which is great when you have subtitles because you can read what they're saying and how it's the director talking about how what are films now there's just montage oh, yeah. montage montage and meanwhile in the back you see them kind of walking in to the there and they're pointing to all the different people you have the actress making her comment which i mentioned to, so you're getting all of this information about Hollywood in this one mm-hmm. long shot where you're just like, man, you feek, this is beautiful filmmaking here. Manelli! Vincente! All the camera movement and stuff. It's just, uh, it's it's beautiful for your eyes to behold. Um, I like that this made me laugh because it's a good reheatable, but not in that it's good, but just in that, like, this is still a thing that happens. So Shields wants to make a picture, so he assembles the actor, the director, and the writer. And he wants them to agree to make this picture. But he never, they ne- you never lead with the story. Yeah, and so that's it why, could be another birth of a nation, people. Exactly. That's why when people are like, why are there no new stories in Hollywood? What's going on and stuff? You, you can go back to the 50s where even they were kind of making this sly joke where it was like, I have the director, I have the writer, and I have the actress. We're just going to come up with something, and that's yeah, going to be exactly, the movie. exactly. The old school film stunts, people gave zero fucks. Like, that guy, oh, yeah. he just, there were no cables. There wasn't any padding. It was just a bunch of soft dirt. He yeah, had the he had the, the time that completely you know, you get the one take, 
hope nobody breaks a, a, a limb. Off. And if they do, if the stuntman breaks a limb, guess what? They're getting back on there and doing it again. And doing it again. It was, man, old school stunts. Jeez. Um, can you sit down in the dress? She tries. She can't. <laughs> He's like, it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That means that uh-huh. you're standing the rest of this. Um, and then I think like the end, how Hollywood, even though they, they all three have reasons, not uh, reasons to hate him at the very end, they pick up the phone again to listen to what the story is. Because if you're, that's what, Hey, why do you think it took so long to get rid of Weinstein? If you're good at what you do, people will look past a lot of bullshit that you do. Exactly. And be like, oh, he had that shield's touch, though. And they all three of them at the end, that's how it ends, where they, they're listening on the phone about, like, whoa, what's this guy up to? What, what's he at? What's the idea? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me see. Oh, I also like how weird acting is. I was listening to the Conan O'Brien podcast where and he had Tina Fey on and they were talking about how sometimes Conan he thinks about how embarrassing acting is and I thought this the the scenes particularly in this when it's a a crane shot and no it's not the I think well I forget what shot it is what the camera movement is but I know that it's the the last scene of the film where I think Gaucho's character is dead and Lana Turner's Georgia has to cry over him. And so she's crying and you see, and you're seeing how everyone is around for this scene where she's breaking down. And you're just like, this acting is so embarrassing and funny. They're having to do, just do all of these emotions. And there's all these people behind the camera working, making sure everything's right. And this woman is here crying over this guy. It's just, it just reminded me of, Conan making that point with Tina Fey and stuff, how sometimes they're just like, this is so embarrassing. Look what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And everybody just watching. Yeah, everyone's just watching. Everyone. You're just so funny. And then when we see it, we think it's all intimate and we're all crying. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, that you know, they you show this whole scene and all the people behind there and stuff. It's just funny. Um I like that Lana Turner was the headline in this. She's the very first name. It comes. It's that's true. Shield. It's Lana Turner, and then it's Kurt Douglas. And yeah. I was like, wow, because you know, Kurt Douglas is Jonathan Shields of this movie. I mean, Lana Turner has a big part in it, but I would say that Kurt Douglas is the star of it. So yeah, as just character wise. So I was like, go ahead, Lana Turner. Yeah. Um. The thing about, like, don't... We're not going to see the cats. I mentioned that before. Like, that's Jaws. That's just... That's Hitchcock. That's right, all those right. things. The men in cat suits. Um, the yeah. test screenings. How those are just hilarious. And sometimes we get super bad movies because people leave it up to the people. And sometimes when you leave things up to the people, the people get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I'm just pointing it out that, that, you know, it's not like that people bat a thousand. 
2016. Alex. So those were my good reheatables. Excellent. My MVP. Yes. Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for nine minutes total on screen. Gloria Graham. Yeah, she was on screen for nine minutes and 32 seconds. And she won the act the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. And up until 1976, that was the shortest amount of screen time. But then remember, we did Network, and Beatrice Strait won the Oscar for like some, like five minutes and change yeah. of screen time. Yeah. So, yep. But she she commanded the your attention all of those nine minutes and 32 seconds. Indeed. Yes. My MVP. All right. My MVP, I already know it's going to be controversial. It's a controversial take. But when I watched the scene the first time, I laughed so hard. And then I watched this movie the second time while I was working on all my stuff, you know, like my research. And when it came on the second time, I laughed just as hard. But I'll also defend it now. It's, It's the scene where Lana Turner is in the car and gets oh into God. the car accident, has the car freak out. I think it's one of the best. It's the it's one of the best. Like, what the fuck is she doing, Seeds? Was she still driving? Had she pulled over yet? No, so she's driving. It's raining, and, she, and Jonathan Shields has just broken her heart because she thought she was in a relationship with him, but it turns out she wasn't. She gets in her car, which is these 1950 hunks of metal and she's yes. driving down the street very small windows it's los angeles and, and it's, it's raining. raining so the roads in los angeles when it's raining it's not like they're uh, it's the east coast or other parts of the country where you know the uh drainage and all of that is is great <laughs> And people, people always say, like, oh, people in L.A. don't know how to drive in the rain. It's true, but also streets in L.A. don't know how to behave in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> like, both things are very true. So, and these are, like, 1950 roads. This is a 1950s car. The camera's in, this is all one shot. And there's a bunch of fun stuff going with the lights and stuff to, because she's she's getting so mad, and you know she's she has a history of suicide. So you're like, well, well is this it? Is she just committing suicide That's now? What I wondered, was she just gonna? So drive she's off the just cliff? driving, and then it won't, and she's just like just completely melting down, crying, and then she goes back. So she's not looking. At she's the not road. looking anywhere. So it makes me wonder. Is it a thing? Because that I'm. Because you're inside the car, so you don't know what the car is doing. Is the car spinning out of control, and this is inside the car? Is the car just careening down the highway? And people. That's why this is the MVP scene. Because even though I was laughing at it, I was also like, "What is going on? <laughs> what is? Is she gonna kill all these people? Because at one point, when she goes back, though, I lose it because she goes back. Her hands are not in the wheel. Right. She's completely flipping out. I. It's probably it's it's one of the worst, probably like from a feminist point of view scenes. But it made me laugh so hard that I just. It's my MV, like it's the scene that you just have to see to be like, what is? Well, 
And then she takes her foot off the brake and or off the gas and puts it on the brake. And you don't know if she's spinning out or what. But then the car comes to a stop somehow. And you're just like, what are you doing? And what has happened? And more importantly, how did are you still alive and you haven't killed anyone? Right. Right. Manelli! It was I felt like it was way overacted. Oh, but, but in the best possible way. <laughs> in that in that it's it's just so over the top that it's just like yes, I needed that. It really tied the film together. Okay, here's a thought. Is it because she had to be so stilted as a bad actress that he wanted to give her a place where she could just totally let loose on acting? Maybe. That's I pretty good. Know. It did set up a lot of tension because you're watching it and you're like... It did. Look at this woman. And then you're like, wait, she is in control of a motor vehicle right now. What? I don't... And then, you, then you're like, oh, but wait a second. She is very fragile right now she she has a history of of suicide mm -hmm. what is she is she trying to end it all now but this is very irresponsible because she's gonna take other she's gonna take other people out with her what mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the mm -hmm. it's the what is going on scene the, yes the inaugural induction into the what is going on yeah scene. yeah yeah the wtf scene Yes. Oh, it's great, though. Okay, recasting. Okay, I came up with two casts. As did I. Okay. I will start with my current cast. Okay. Well, my current cast with the gender flip. Oh. So my Jonathan is a female. Uh-huh. Sandra Bullock. Oh, she would be a good Jonathan. My Fred, who is... So, like, he's going to get his feelings so yeah. hurt. Jennifer Connelly. Oh, wow. Because she can do depressed like nobody. So my Georgia is Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> go, go. I just imagine Jake Gyllenhaal in the car. And tell me that you would not love to see him break down in the car like that. And then uh, my gym is the last person I did. I did the, the four people. My gym, the author, is Natalie Portman. Ah. You went strictly brunettes. Wow, I did. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Yes, I did. You were like, brunettes, this is your time to shine. That's right. Forget this fake blonde stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want me to do my my uh, African American cast? Well, I can do my my first cast. Okay, what's your first cast? All right. Well, the first person I cast was in the role of Lila, and I oh. cast it as soon as I saw it because I was like, "Is that Rebecca Ferguson? Because she looks just like Rebecca Ferguson." Mm. So that's Lila, and as Bartlow, the author, the writer, I have William H Macy. Of course. And yes. as yes. Fred, the director, the stand-up guy, I have John Krasinski. Oh, I like that. And as Georgia, I have Scarlett Johansson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then yes. as my shield, 
I have Daniel Craig. Yes, I can see that. I can see that. Let's get this done. Well, for my cast of color, my Jonathan is Tay Diggs. Ah. Oh, I haven't gone to that well too many times. My Fred is David Oyelowo. Uh-huh. Because I am, because the new season of Black Monday is coming out. <gasps> when does it start? I think tonight. Oh, I man. I think tonight. So I'm catching up on season one because I didn't totally watch season one. Isn't it hilarious? It, it, well, come on. Don Cheadle and, and Regina my Hall. George and Regina Hall. Oh, Regina Oh, come Hall. on. Oh, come on. I love it when she's in the store. And, and the white people keep saying, may I help you? <laughs> and then somebody comes up to ask her for assistance. What about Georgina? Do you see a fucking name tag on my titty? Do you see a fucking name tag on my titty? <laughs> oh, that's, it's so good. Okay. And then, so she's Georgia. And my gym is Alfred Enoch. He's the dude. Oh, yes. I remember. Yeah. Okay. Nice. All right, well, my second cast is my black cast from 1952. Whoa, how can you do that? It's actually quite easy because I have, for Lila, I had two people, but I was like, well, I'll explain later. But so for my Lila, it's Ruby D. Oh. For my Bartlow... Well, she would make the most out of those few moments. Hell yeah. For my Bartlow, the author, Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, okay. For Fred, the director, Ozzy Davis. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Because he could do Wounded. Mm-hmm. For Georgia, Dorothy Dandridge. Oh, I was going with Lena Horne, but yes. Okay. Yep. And so that means for my shields, we're making this movie in 1952. Harry Belafonte. Oh, wow. Now for my Lila, I was also, because I was looking up movies, I was looking up Carmen Jones, Porgy and Bess, just to get an idea of like the cast for that when I was casting. And old Diane Carroll was in all the cast. And that's why I was like, could, Lila could either be Diane Carroll or she Ruby totally D. But I went with Ruby D because Diane Carroll was in Carmen Jones and was in Porgy and Bess. Like she was in oh, all okay. those movies. So I was like, ah, let's let's kind of break it up a bit. Let's throw Ruby but a bone. Isn't that a fantastic? It really is. Because at first I was gonna do my all-time plat, but then I when I because I was like, she who would it be? Who would it be a great Harry Shields? I was like. Well, Harry Belafonte. And then I was like, well, who would be a great George? I'm like, well, Dorothy Dandridge. And I'm like, well, shit, Aaron. Yeah, you, you might as well just say you're casting this in 1952. Yeah. Go with it. What are we even doing, Hollywood? Yep. What could have been? Well, well done. I applaud you. Thank you. Okay, so we are to Tasty Nuggets. Mm-hmm. Um to, because the, the movie had gone even longer originally, 
they cut a scene where Jonathan Shields wins an Oscar. Yeah, the Oscar that he sees. The Oscar for Far Away Mountain or Mm -hmm. whatever. And he thanks his father. And he says a a very small thing about the director who actually did the whole thing. Yeah, Minnelli cut it to soften Shields. Because otherwise he looked really, he was a big Mm -hmm. dick. Big dangling dick. Big dangling dick. Georgia was based on Diana Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just knowing the Barrymores through the years, I, she I was, get that. She was the daughter of John Barrymore, the aunt to Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. But also, don't you think that Georgia had a touch of Judy Garland in there as well? Oh, yeah. Because, again, yeah. he had already been married and divorced from Judy Garland at that yeah. point. So Yeah. Lana Turner had the same insecurities that Georgia had. She was very insecure. Who? Well, was this after her daughter had killed the, the I don't know, but I boyfriend? do know that I don't think that Lana Turner is alone in those that's why it's sort of a stereotype and all stereotypes or are born of some truth so because gloria graham she she always thought like she started undergoing plastic surgeries in the early 40s oh no and i don't know if it's in this film but soon after she had so much work on her lip done that her lip ended up being permanently Paralyzed, paralyzed. Oh, so you know she had the insecurities. Well, look what they—I mean, look what they did to Judy Garland. Judy Garland. You look at Marilyn Monroe. I mean, all you had to do was listen to um, that show. I already mentioned it. You must remember this, and you're just like, is anybody normal in Hollywood? They can't be because all the men were trying to make them into. You know what? Hollywood was what Michael Jackson became. He was trying to make himself into an anime character. And the men in Hollywood were trying to make all the women into their fantasy. Yeah. Thank you. And Good analogy. A lot of men, not a lot, but there are, a lot, there are men in Hollywood who were gay. So their oh, yeah. fantasy was no hips. It's very slender because you look at what was in vogue and in fashion for a lot of time. That certain look, it wasn't the curvaceousness. It's, I mean, it's only now that that it's kind of be getting back into the oh the curves and the womanly body. Because mm-hmm. for all the longest time, it was very no hips, very like straight, straight lined, like an upside down triangle. So I've always thought that that was a little, that's a little weird that mm. you want your women to look like prepubescent boys. Ooh, oh, okay. So the word sex was mentioned six times in this movie mm. and the censors had a hard time with that. Oh, they must have clutched the pearls every time sex was mentioned. But a lot of them were the, the dudes who wrote about early Virginia saying it was yeah it was a hit because there was a lot of sex in it and then the exactly. then the wife's paper was a hit because there was a lot of sex in it 
Clark Gable turned down the role as Jonathan Shields. Um, oh, in the coat of arms, I wondered what the Latin was. Mm-hmm. And it said, Non sans droit is not without right. That I don't know why, but I just wondered what the Latin was. That's it. It didn't matter it one way or another toward the movie. Not without right. Hmm. Meh. What? Meh. Over our heads, I'm sure somebody is screaming that this is what it means, but we're not that podcast, so. And you know, you can, you can mention it in our, in comments. That would be lovely. Sure. You got nothing else to do. (laughs) I looked it up and actually it means it's in reference to. (laughs) You were so wrong again. And your tasty nuggets. All right, so Shields, Jonathan Shields' character is a mix-up, they say, of Donald Old Donald O. Selznick, Orson Welles, and producer Lou Val Luton. Georgia, we already mentioned, was Diana Barrymore. Uh, Bartlow, the writer, Paul Green, he was a UNC professor. He wrote The Last Colony. It, it was a play. It was based on Roanoke. And he also helped... Paul Green also helped Richard Wright adapt Native Son. So he was like a Pulitzer Prize winning writer and author from the South. Um, Gaucho was a self-parody of... What is his name? Gilbert Roland, the actor who played Gaucho. It was a self-parody because he had been the Cisco kid and he was just, of course, always typecast as the Latin lover. So Gilbert Roland... I mean, there's nothing even... No, well, that's because... about the name. Well, his real name, if you want to know, is... Ah, Luis Antonio Damasio D'Alonso. Thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. And he chose the name Gilbert Roland from... uh, I know it was... I think it was John Gilbert and oh some woman Roland but I didn't write it down. Okay. But yeah, he got the name Gilbert from that an actor who was Gilbert and another actress okay. who was blah, blah, Okay. Blah. And I'm sure he had to use that name at that time to even be able to get a role because people go, I can't pronounce that. I'm not putting that on. They're like, how many names is that? What's your last name, buddy? What the hell? But yeah, he was nominated twice for the Golden Globes in 52 and 64 and inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1960. Yay. Mm -hmm. He had a very long, very long and productive career. So, um, as I said, it was a self-parody. Where is this? Oh, Spencer Tracy was also uh, mentioned to play the role. This was nominated for six Academy Awards. It was the most films ever nominated. It had the most, it was a film that had the most nominations for a film not nominated for the best picture. Yes. And it won five out of the six Whoa. awards that it was nominated for. 
So the only Ooh. one that was nominated for that didn't win was Kirk Douglas was nominated for Best Actor. And in that year, he was up against Marlon Brando and Viva Zapata. Jose Fer... Fer- I can't... I never can say this guy's name's right. Jose Ferrer. There's so Ferreira. many R's in this Ferreira. name. Ferrera. Ferrera for Moulin Rouge. Alec Guinness in The Lavender Mob. And the winner was Gary Cooper for High Noon. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So we did high noon. Gloria, yeah, we did, and he was pretty good in it. So he was. I mean, I thought Kurt Douglas was really good in this. He did have I the did one too. scene where he went full Kurt Douglas. Yeah. But it was good because it was just the one scene. Right. So I was, I was pretty impressed. I was like, oh man, that's why it was Kurt Douglas. Mm-hmm. Best supporting actress we already mentioned Gloria Graham. She won best art direction. Best Cinematography, Black and White. Mm-hmm. Yep, one. Best Costume Design, Black and White, one. And Best Writing Screenplay Adapted, one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is a very influential film. A lot of directors mention it. Hmm. It, well, I, I was glad I saw it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Well, I liked it a lot. Um, so next week we will be back. Yes. But but we are keeping the name of the film a secret until next week. Because we will be having a guest hostess. Because I'm not picking and Ma's not picking. I'm not picking. We have a special guest making a selection and they will let us know. So you will know about uh, hopefully a day before we do <laughs> so we can actually get this thing done so we hope you are self-quarantining and doing the best you can and listen to some podcasts it's a great way to spend the time just keeping calm and carrying on man yeah that's what you know what does i like watching the old stuff because it just puts things in perspective you're like hey we've been through weird things before Human humanity has been through weird things before, you know, the world wars and whatnot. So wars and whatnot. Yeah. World wars and whatnot. Terrorism. You know, this it's not our first uh, pandemic. So, you know, keep calm, carry carry on, on. you know, keep a level head. That's right. And drink gin. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I was, I, you know what? I was disappointed in the public that there were so few of y'all at Total Wine and More. <laughs> I was, Guys, what are we doing? It's not going to catch me flat footed. That's right. <laughs> Priorities. Well, <laughs> There you go for this week, The Bad and the Beautiful. And we hope you listen in next week. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.